A quick correction at the top of the cast. In episode one, I said rabbits were rodents. That was a lie. Although they're closely related to rodents, they actually belong to their own order, the lagomorphs. My sincere apologies. And now, without further ado, on with the show! There, that should keep those pedantic asses happy. Hello, and welcome to Bird of the Week. It's a podcast about birds, released on a non-weekly basis. Episode 3, The Heck's a Feather. To start this week, I want you to imagine that you're a bird called a kill deer. Oh, I um, apologise, that's a deceptive-sounding name. You're not a bird that kills deer, you're actually a largish plover. It's a bummer, I know. The name is onomatopoeic, based on the sound you make. It's kind of a kill deer kind of sound, I guess. Roll the audio! Yeah, I totally hear that. Anyway, for the most part, you're a plain brown bird with a white underbelly and two rather handsome bars that cut across your chest. You mainly hang out on the Canadian coastline where you hunt for small fish and crabs in tidal areas. But right now, you have a nest, and being the devoted parent you are, you are diligently sitting on your clutch of eggs keeping them warm. Aww. But suddenly, danger appears. In the distance, your keen plover eyes spot something. An intruder. It's an arctic fox. Your natural response is to freeze and lower yourself to the ground, trusting that your feathers will blend you into the environment, concealing you from danger. But alas, you have no such luck. The fox moves ever closer. In a counterintuitive move, you suddenly leave your nest unprotected and strike out across the field. No, you're not saving yourself. You have a plan. Once you're a good distance away, you stick your wing up in the air at an odd angle, it almost looks like your wing is broken, and you start making a distressing noise. You're trying to draw the fox's attention away from the nest, presenting yourself as an easy meal. You keep this facade up, moving further and further away from the nest, pausing every now and again to make sure the fox is following you. This behaviour is known as injury feigning or the broken wing display. Eventually, you feel you've moved far away enough from your nest to have thrown the fox off the trail, so you open your wings and take to the sky, escaping your would-be attacker with the greatest of ease. Pretty clever trick, eh? But here's the thing. Every one of those behaviours was reliant on feathers. Incubating eggs? You need feathers for insulation. Hiding from a predator? You need feathers for camouflage. Feigning an injury? You need feathers for display. And finally, flying away? Well, that's what we all think of when it comes to feathers. As you can see, feathers are a bird's greatest tool, and that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. Oh, I mean, I guess when I said episode 3 of the Hexa Feather, I probably gave the surprise away. So, when you think of a bird, there are probably three things that come to mind. Beak, wing, feathers. And of the three, it is the feathers that are totally unique to birds. Octopuses? Octopi? And turtles have beaks? Bats and insects have wings? But feathers? There ain't nothing else that has a feather. They give birds their shape, colour and appearance. Beautiful to look at, delicate to the touch, yet strong enough to hold a bird in the air. 
So let's break it down. Just what are they? In the simplest sense, they're a kind of fancy fur. Feathers are made out of keratin, the same stuff as our hair and fingernails, and more or less, that's how feathers started out, as single filaments growing from the skin. You know, hair. Over time, some of these filaments split to have multiple endings, and gradually they became increasingly complex in structure. Now, there are two main types of feather. The first are the down feathers, those soft, fluffy ones that we use to stuff pillows. Usually, you don't see them because they're hidden from view under the second type of feather, and are primarily used for insulation. That second type of feather are the contour feathers. A typical contour feather consists of a central hollow shaft with paired branches extending off it. These branches all contain tiny barbs which interlock with each other, creating a sort of net-like structure that has a smooth, ordered appearance. I'm sure you've probably run your hand over a feather going against the grain and seen it become more ragged and messy. And if you push it back the other way, it will realign and become smooth again. Well, that's thanks to the barbs, and this is what birds do when they preen themselves. They're putting the branches of their feathers back into order so they look smooth and neat. An important step in any bird's grooming regiment. Because of this interlocking, overlapping structure, a bird can completely cover its body using very little mass. Contour feathers cover a bird's body. They give it its shape and colour, provide more insulation, and protect it from the elements. Some are even waterproof. But the more interesting contour feathers are the flight feathers, of which there are three types. They are the primary flight feathers, the secondary flight feathers, and I'm sure you can guess the third type. That's right, the tertiary... No, uh, I mean the tail feathers. Now, a bird's wing has exactly the same skeletal structure as our own arms. You can think of the primary flight feathers as being attached to the hand. Almost all birds have 10 primary flight feathers, and they are responsible for providing thrust while in the air. The actual power to move forward. The secondary flight feathers are attached to the arm, and these ones are responsible for providing lift, the force required to get off the ground. And the tail feathers help with maneuverability and braking. If you watch a bird coming in to land, you can usually spot them flaring out their tail feathers to act as a brake to slow themselves down. A way a bird achieves flight is complicated, and I don't really want to get into it, because we're here to talk about feathers. Not fluid dynamics, not aerodynamics, not any type of dynamic thing at all. We're staying static. No, wait, I mean, we're dynamic, we're very dynamic, we are bounding with enthusiasm, we're exciting, I promise, just buy a physics textbook, I don't know. And actually, if I'm being honest, flight is probably the most boring things birds do with their feathers anyway. I mean, don't get me wrong, flight is freaking amazing, but we've all seen it, we're all familiar with it, and when you start to dig deeper, you find there's more to feathers than just flight. So, let's dig deeper. First things first though, before we go into function, let's focus on the most important thing, physical appearance. As you know, birds are almost unlimited in the colours they can choose from. Everything from white to black, the dullest browns, the hottest pinks, blue, red, yellow, orange, green, you name it, they got it. So how do they produce those colours? Well, there are two ways a bird can make colour. The first is pigmentation. These are chemicals that absorb light and reflect one colour in the usual way. Birds acquire these from their diet, and the colours tend to be red, yellow, and brown. 
Of course, this most famously occurs in flamingos. And let me tell you, flamingos are freak mingos. Oh my god, why did I just say that? And let me tell you, flamingos are freaks. They kind of look like they're related to storks, but they're not really related to any other bird. We're about to find out why. So I'm sure you can picture a flamingo with that hot pink plumage. Flamingos are not born naturally pink though. They come out grey and acquire their rosy hue by eating plankton rich in carotenoids. The better fed a flamingo, the brighter its plumage. They get this food via a highly specialised beak. They're filter feeders and use a structure in their beak that is best likened to the baleen of a whale. It's just much smaller. Now, baby flamingos don't have the necessary beak kit to feed. Until they develop it, they are reliant on their parents for food. And the adult flamingo has a very weird way of feeding its young. For you see, the flamingo is one of only three birds that lactates. You heard me right there. Flamingos produce milk like mammals. Well, yeah, I take that back. They produce milk, but in the most unmammalian-like way possible. They feed their chicks something called crop milk, which they secrete, funnily enough, from their crop, and no, that isn't where they harvest their grain from. It's an organ in the upper part of their digestive tract. And delightfully, flamingo milk is blood red in colour. It's through this milk that the babies get the carotenoids they need to turn pink. So... That's pigmentation. The other way birds produce colour is through manipulating the wavelengths of light on the nanoscale. This is called structural coloration, and it's responsible for those really stunning iridescent colours that tend to have a metallic quality. They're the ones that shimmer and change depending on the angle you're looking at them from. Think of a peacock. Those are the colours we're talking about. These colours are produced by the physical structure of the feather. If you zoomed in on the microscopic scale, the feathers have tiny, semi-transparent and reflective structures that light bounces off. Now, it's a little complicated, but it all happens in such a way that most wavelengths of light destructively interfere with each other and get cancelled out, while one coloured wavelength constructively interferes and so shines through all the more brilliantly. Did any of that make sense? There are many different ways this trick can be achieved, and different birds have different mechanisms for doing it, and it doesn't always result with that iridescent quality. This most famously occurs with the colour blue. Blue, fun fact, is the rarest pigment in nature, and there is no blue feather in existence that is made with a pigment. They're all produced with structural colour. And you can actually test this. If you take a blue feather and backlight it, you will see the colour vanish when the light doesn't come from the right angle. Yeah, it's all smoke and mirrors when it comes to the colour blue. So, now we have two mechanisms for creating colour, and there is one bird that uses both in a rather interesting way. In Southeast Asia, there is a bird called the common green magpie. No relation to the Australian magpie. They're a small, glossy green bird with a striking red bill and a black stripe that goes across their eyes, kind of like a badger. What is particularly neat about the common green magpie, though, is that their feathers sometimes change colour. You see, the common green magpie isn't always green. Sometimes it's blue, a lovely kind of cornflower blue. 
The cause of this change is a result of both their diet, their feathers, and the sun. Much like if we stay out in the sun for too long, our skin will turn red. If these little guys stay out in the sun for too long, their feathers turn blue. Oh, actually, no, that's a bad analogy. Tanning is skin cells in trauma. This happens because their green color is made by two processes. A yellow pigment made of carotenoids, which they get from their diet, and a blue made by microscopic structures in their feathers, which scatter light. And as your primary school art teacher taught you, yellow plus blue equals green. Hence, we have our common green magpie. But these birds go blue when left in the sun, so what's going on there? Well, it turns out sunlight breaks down that carotenoid pigment, destroying it to leave the blue to shine through. Quite often as well, when this magpie is kept in captivity, they can turn blue if their diet isn't quite right. So, if you ever see a common blue magpie, you'll know it's been out sunbathing for too long, or their keeper just can't get their diet right. So now we've figured out how to paint our birds. The next question is, to what end? The colour of a bird's feathers can have several uses, and the most obvious is camouflage. A tiny little bird makes for a tasty meal for a lot of bigger, badder animals, so staying hidden definitely has its advantages. There are thousands of birds that use camouflage, but if you ask me, the bird that does it the best is the tawny frogmouth. Frogmouths are nocturnal hunters, and because of their similar appearance and vocalizations, they are sometimes mistakenly referred to as owls. But these ain't no owls. They're actually more closely related to hummingbirds than owls, so don't let me catch you calling them owls or I will track you down and mess you up. Now, a frogmouth is primarily grey in colour, splashed with streaks of mottled black, white and brown. During the day, they favour roosting on the end of broken branches. They thrust their heads into the air at an odd angle and, combined with their coloration, they take on the appearance of a tree branch. So effective is this deception that they all but disappear while staying in plain sight, and they commit to their hiding strategy 100%, only breaking cover if the enemy is right on top of them. But of course, sometimes a bird doesn't want to blend in. Sometimes they want to stand out because, God damn it, I'm fabulous. Feathers again, have them covered. No pun intended. We've already seen how the kill deer uses its feathers for display, but there are other ways birds can catch the eye. On first glance, the South American sunbitten looks like it's trying to blend in. It's a medium-sized bird that hangs around on riverbanks and swamps, primarily brown and speckled. It doesn't stand out. That is, until it's threatened. When something enters its territory, the sunbitten turns around and opens out its wings to their full extent, and emblazoned upon them are these striking yellow and red patterns. Suddenly, the bird looks like a much larger creature, and the patterns are so arranged as to resemble giant eyes. If the intruder doesn't back off, the sunbitten will press its point confidently, moving towards its foe, flaunting its feathers as it comes. So large does it now appear, and so bolshy is its behaviour, that any reasonable creature would assume that it's quite dangerous. But therein lies the trick. The sunbitten, if push came to shove, couldn't hurt a fly. Oh, I'm actually not sure if they eat flies. I should look into that. The feathers, you see, are a cunning lie. But the most common display that birds use their feathers for is in courtship. 
quality of the feather and the brilliance of their hue is used as an indication of a bird's health and their desirability as a partner. Usually it's the male that sports the goods, and there are a whole bunch of reasons for this, but yeah, we'll save it for another episode when we can talk about mating in more detail. For now, all we need to know is that through a process of sexual selection, the females select for traits in males that they find attractive. This can lead to noticeable differences between male and female birds, such as in fairy wrens, where the males are bright blue and black, while the ladies are dull brown. But sometimes it can really get out of hand. Enter everyone's favourite example, the peacock with its tail of insanity. But uh, you know what? No, the peacock is done to death. Let's do a different bird for once. Because for my money, the birds of paradise are the most extreme examples here. Yeah, again, we're going to have a whole episode on the birds of paradise. I'm kind of obsessed with them. But just to give you a taste, there is one species called the King of Saxony bird of paradise. And for the most part, there isn't anything much remarkable about it. Unless you look at the male's head. For atop its head, it has two bizarre feathers. They're so highly modified that they don't even look like feathers anymore. They're about twice the length of the bird and stick out like two giant antennas. The feathers filaments have also fused together such that they look like plastic tabs. This bird actually has quite a lot of control over them. They're able to make them stand upright, flush them back over their wings, or even flare them out in front of their body. They can also control each one independently and can wave them around in astounding ways. And they do it all by using the equivalent muscles that we use to wiggle our eyebrows. Naturally, these headwise serve no purpose whatsoever, aside from being utterly irresistible to the ladies. During mating season, these little guys take up a position in the canopy, puff out their chests, sing a song, which is described as sounding like radio static, it's terribly romantic, roll the audio! Yeah, that's the stuff and swing their big old headwires around. If the ladies like what they see, and apparently they like their headwires long, shiny, and gaudy, then they'll pair up and get on with the business of sexually selecting for this truly ridiculous trait. And it's the same story for all courtship-related plumage. This is just the most extreme example. So that's display, and that leaves us with one last common use for feathers protection from the environment. That includes everything a bird is likely to come up against. Temperature, wind, rain, harsh criticism, nuclear fallout, the paparazzi, peer pressure, existential crisis, crippling... But you can probably get the best idea of how it works from looking at waterproofing. I'm sure you've all seen water beat up and roll for ducks back after it's been diving or dabbling. And uh, yes, there is a difference between diving and dabbling, but uh, no, you don't need to know about it. But bird's feathers don't naturally grow waterproofed. They're made waterproof through the application of preen oil. And where do birds get this oil from? Why, their preening gland, of course. It actually has a technical name that I'm not going to try to pronounce. Europygeal. Show off. This gland... Europygeal. ...is present in most, but not all birds, and is usually located near the tail on their back. During preening, the bird will gather up the secreted oil and distribute it to their feathers, thus making them waterproof. There are some birds, like dippers, where this oil works so effectively that when they're underwater, you can literally see a layer of air clinging to their feathers, keeping them bone dry, even while totally submerged. So, 
That's an example of environmental protection, and now I think we've done it. We've covered all the main uses of feathers. Flight, camouflage, display, environmental protection. But we're not done yet. There are some birds that have found novel uses for their feathers. Take, for example, the club-winged mannequin. This is a bird that can sing with its feathers. They're a small, sparrow-sized bird that lives in South America. What distinguishes them, though, is the sound they make. It's a kind of mechanical buzz that it produces from its wings. Roll the audio! By vibrating its wings at a furious rate, up to 100 times a second, they can produce a high-frequency hum during mating displays. This sound is produced by a pair of highly modified feathers on both wings. The first feather has a series of ridges that run down the central vein. The second feather is stiff, sharp, and bent in such a way that when the wings are vibrated, it runs up and down the first feather, hitting these ridges and producing the sound. Because it shakes its wings so fast, the mannequin can make up to 1,400 notes every second. This is more or less the same way a cricket makes its chirping noise when it rubs its legs together. This action is called stridulation, and it makes the mannequin the insect of the bird world. But wait, there's more! There are ptarmigans, a type of quail-like bird that grows extra feathers on its feet during the winter so that they can use them as snowshoes to walk on drifts without sinking. There are sand grouse, a desert-dwelling pigeon-like bird that uses its feathers to absorb water, which they then fly back to their newborn chicks so they can drink. There are grebes that eat their own feathers as a way to assist digestion, and even barn owls. You may have noticed their sweet little heart-shaped faces. Their feathers actually function like a satellite dish. They're shaped that way to direct sound into their ears. That's how they can detect the smallest noise. They literally have a satellite dish for sound as a face. Roll the audio! Oh, wait, there's no audio for that. Damn it! And on and on the list goes. There's almost no end to what birds can use their feathers for. I haven't even mentioned how herons use their feathers to fish. But our podcast has to end somewhere. And this is the place I chose. Join us again next time when we'll be talking about erections. No, not phalluses, you pervs. I'm talking about constructions. Because when it comes to building stuff, birds really were the first architects. But I'll see you all then. Is one bird, however often I release this podcast, not enough for you? Then I've got some good news. If you'd like a bird to arrive in your inbox every week, simply send an email to weekly.bird at outlook.com and I'll add you to the Bird of the Week mailing list. No ads, no subscriber fees, just beautiful birds flying at you each and every week. Until then, this has been Bird of the Week. Roll the audio!